Cedar Street Baptist Church, once again, I love you so very much, and it's the joy of my heart, and I mean that, to be with you here today as we open up God's Word. And for those of you visiting as well, uh, you bless my heart, our hearts, with your presence. Uh, Speaking of the word presence, you're walking right into the middle of a new sermon series. So if you are here for the first time, as a pastor, I typically like to preach through books of the Bible, word by word, verse by verse, but sometimes I take breaks in between preaching books of the Bible, and we go through a topical sermon series to address an issue in the Christian life. And that's where we find ourselves today. We're in week three of this sermon series that I've entitled Growing in the Presence of God. Growing in the Presence of God. I've been saying these last few weeks, and I'll continue to say as the Lord leads me to, we're called to pursue a person. That person is God. That's the relationship that you were created for. And we talked about it the last few weeks. So our first week, we talked about the portrait of God's presence. As we looked at Psalm 139, verses 1 through 10. And we said this about God. God is sovereignly present everywhere as a ruler. But He's relationally present as a father, strictly to those who have faith. So you can say that God is everywhere at all times. But at the same time, you can say that God is not in this place, or God is in this place, meaning that He's relationally present as a Father who wants to bless His children. Now, we can't do anything about the sovereign ruling presence of God. God is everywhere at all times. He's eternal, past, present, future. He's high, He's low. David said in Psalm 139, He's all the way up to the top of the heavens and all the way down to the depths of Sheol. God is everywhere. However, there are things that you can do to draw close to the relational presence of God as a father. And as we said last week, the potential of God's presence out of Psalm 16, we said that in God's presence there's fullness of joy, and at His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. We said that you cannot not pursue joy and pleasure. And so if the source is God, then the answer is we do what we can to draw close to Him, knowing that He's promised if we are faithful, He will draw close to us. So we are talking about growing in the presence of God. Well, we talked about the portrait of God's presence, the potential of God's presence. Today we're going to be talking about the promise of God's presence. And as we get ready to walk into this uh, time together, I always like to start us off with something to think about. Here's the question. What is the greatest promise that has ever been made to you in your life? Think about your family. Think about your friends. Think about those whom you love, who've made promises to you, some big, some small. What's the biggest promise that's ever been made to you in your life? I can't help but think of a certain promise today. I'm staring at uh, my best friend of 30 years. I won't point him out here in the church, but he happens to be wearing a Philadelphia Eagles sweatshirt. (laughs) My, uh, my father, uh, who I love dearly, who most of you have met, has come to visit here many times. Uh, he and I, growing up, we only had one language, and that language was Philadelphia sports. I'm grateful that he's become a believer, and we can talk about other things now. But uh, we made a, a commitment. He made a promise to me uh, when I was getting ready to leave for Georgia Southern in 1998. He looked dead in my eyes and he said, if the Eagles ever make the Super Bowl, I don't care where you are or what you're doing, I will pay your way to fly home and you watch the game with me. 
And in 2004, he made good on his promise. The, and, and the funny thing about it is I was working in professional baseball as a broadcaster in the Chicago Cubs organization in Daytona Beach, Florida. And the game, the Super Bowl, was in Jacksonville, Florida, 50 miles away. But he, he flew me all the way back to Philadelphia. We had to be together to watch the game. And uh, as, you, as most of you know that follow sports, Eagles are in the NFC Championship game today. Uh, completely separate from the topic, I'll just say we talked on the phone. I said, Pop, I'm a pastor. I'm not going anywhere on Sunday mornings. He said, I'll hum to you this time. So if the Eagles make the Super Bowl, we may have an extra person in, this, in the pews here in two weeks. But we'll see what happens. The point is, he made a promise. It was a good promise, and he kept his promise. But many times as I look into the faces of those in the crowd here today, most of you, I, I think, would admit to me that you have had promises made to you that have been broken. If you're being honest, you've probably broken a few promises yourself. Promises are important to God. And guess what, guess what I've learned when I open up God's Word? Can I tell you what I know according to His Word? When God makes a promise, He keeps it. In fact, you can look at the Bible and say that the Old Testament is a series of promises made. And when you look at Jesus Christ, there are promises kept. All the promises of God find their yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. He keeps His promises. I love that about God, that in all the things that we can't trust in the world, we can trust in God. But as we get ready to open up, uh, I'm going to read a passage that is a famous passage that all of you have read a thousand times, but I'm going to show you an aspect of the passage that you may not have thought about before. We're going to be reading Matthew chapter 28, and uh, this is known as the Great Commission, but I'm going to talk about the very end of that passage. But before we do that, here's the big idea as we're talking about the promises of God. In one sentence, here's what I want to prepare your hearts for as we walk into Matthew 28. In one sentence, I would say the relational presence of God is the greatest and most frequent promise the Lord makes to his people throughout all of Scripture. And I'm going to prove it to you today. Not only am I going to read this passage, I'm going to do something different that I don't typically do. I'm going to start at Genesis. I'm going to go all the way to Revelation and I'm going to show you over and over and over and over again that the greatest promise God makes to his people is his presence. When you leave here today, I hope your mind is obsessed with the presence of God and it becomes the most important thing in your life because it is that important to God that he would show us this in his word as much as he does. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Matthew. Okay, book of Matthew, first book of the New Testament. We'll be at the end of Matthew, chapter 28, and the last passages of Matthew. I'm going to be reading verses 16 through 20, but we're going to zero in on verse 20 in one specific sentence, and then we're going to walk through the whole Bible together. So if you do not have a Bible, please grab the Pew Bible in front of you, page 993 in your Pew Bible. Okay, page 993 in your Pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. Again, we are reading Matthew chapter 28, verses 16, on to the end of the passage in verse 20. Hear God's word to us, starting in Matthew 28, 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let us pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. Again, we thank you and praise you for this day and and we just beg you for your presence. Father, I, I pray according to the song that we sang before I opened up your word that your spirit would dwell in this place. Fill this place with your presence. Open up our hearts and minds, our distracted minds with so much happening. Father, clear them. Enable us to, to center on your word. And Father, we thank you that of all the promises that you make in Scripture, the greatest one is that you'll be present with your children. Help us to know your presence today as we study what your presence means to us eternally. All these things we thank you for and ask you for in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and God's people said, Amen. The presence of God. God promises it, and boy, do we need it. We need a pharmacist in here, too. <laughs> that time of year, a lot of, a lot of prayers. A lot of prayers, and for those that are weathering the storm to be here, I appreciate you more than you know. The portrait of God's presence, as we said a few moments ago, he's everywhere at all times, and yet he's not relationally present as a father except to his children. Then we said for those who do know his relational presence, the closer that we draw to him, the more fullness of joy that we'll have, the more lasting pleasures that we'll have, the more meaning of life we will have, because here's the deal. And by the way, this is a free plug for Sunday nights. I really wish this place would fill up on a Sunday night. You would be blessed more than you know. All right, we're going through a Sunday night study called Soul Keeping, and the, uh, the gentleman that leads the DVD discussion, John Orberg, said, you have a soul that is made by God, you have a soul that is made for God, and you have a soul that is made to run on God. Just like you could have a Lamborghini sitting in your driveway, but if you don't fill it up with gas, it's useless. You could be given all the gifts in the world, but if you don't know the relationship of the presence of God in your life, you'll never know the power of God in your life. You'll never know the joy of God in your life. And we can go so long without ever thinking about the presence of God. This study has forced me to see what Scripture says about God's presence in a way that I haven't really paid attention to before. I remember maybe four or five nights ago huffing and puffing in bed and Ashley asking me, what's wrong with you? And I just said, this study is changing me. It's forcing me to think about a lot of things in my life. What am I pursuing more than the presence of God? And how can I change that? So, I started us off by reading Matthew 28. Now, here's the deal. Everyone knows about this passage as the Great Commission. In fact, you could not help if you went to the seminary that Dave and I went to. They have the word go spray painted on the, on the, uh, the signs on the wall, on the gravel. I mean, everywhere, all over campus, on the, the cobblestones, everywhere. Go, 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 go and make disciples, go and make disciples, go and make disciples. It's the calling of a Christian, however... I'm going to focus on another aspect. All right, most of you who read the King James Version, at the very end of the passage, it says, and lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. You know what? We focus on the go, but we don't focus on the low. Think about this. God has called you to make disciples. God has called you to share the gospel, to see other people get saved, and that is a great commission. But I'm going to talk about an even greater promise. God's going to be with you whatever you do. 
All right, so as we walk through the whole Scripture, and I'm going to do it a little different than I usually do, I want you to take these words of Jesus Christ. His last words should be our first priority today. These words, I am with you always. Highlight them in your Bibles. Write them in the margins. I am with you always. This is the greatest promise that God has ever made and will ever make to us. And what I'm going to do in just a minute, I'm going to start at Genesis and I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture. And so if you're a note taker, write the verses down. Don't try to catch each verse in the Bible. Your fingers will get cramps. Okay? But write them down and just let, let it minister to your heart as I read them. And we're going to look at them from two different perspectives. But before I do that, I want to, I want to say one thing. I love being a Southern Baptist. I'm a Christian first and a Southern Baptist second. We talked in my prospective member class that in this room right now, We've got people from all different denominations, and I'm so grateful for that. But one of the things we need to be careful of in our particular denomination is we're so focused on mission, we're so focused on salvation, getting people saved, letting them hear the gospel, we forget that we're focusing a lot on what people are being saved from, which is eternal damnation, but we don't ever talk about what they're being saved for. And that is a personal, abiding, eternal relationship with the God who loves you and created you. That's not only what we've been saved for or from, that's what we are being saved for. Now, if you don't focus on what you're being saved for, all you'll think about is salvation is your get out of hell free card. And for those that believe that, after they think that they're saved, they abandon the church. They don't serve. They're not active in a local church. They know they don't read scripture. They don't pray. They're not witnessing to other people. They're not serving God. They just say, well, I believe in Jesus. That's enough to get me out of hell. Now I'm going to go live the rest of my life the way I was living it before. That's someone who doesn't know what they're saved for, only what they're saved from. But someone who knows what they're saved for will spend the rest of their life not only thanking God, not only serving God, but pursuing the presence of God and a relationship that will last for all of eternity. Salvation's not about a place. It's not about heaven or hell. It's about a person. The reason that we want to go to heaven is because God is there. And by the way, you don't have to wait to heaven to get to know God. He's with us. And if you're a Christian, He's in you. So the presence of God. Now I want to show the presence of God in Scripture from two different perspectives. And the first of the two things I want to draw our attention to is this. Number one, God promises His relational presence from his fatherly heart. Now, every passage of Scripture that I read, I want you to first think about each passage from the heart of a father who wants to be with his children. And any of you who are a parent or a grandparent, think about the heart of God when I read these passages. Okay? If you're a note taker, I'm going to hit it fast. So just write the chapter and verse down and go back to it a little bit later. Okay? Let me start in the beginning. Genesis chapter 28, verse 15. Genesis 28, 15, God's word says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. That is God's promise to Jacob as he points to the future land and descendants of the nation of Israel. God the Father ministering to his child Jacob as he gets ready to build a nation. We go further on into Exodus chapter 33, verse 14. Exodus 33, 14. 
God's word says, and he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. This is God's promise to Moses as he empowers Moses to take the Israelites through the wilderness. That was right after the Ten Commandments. Moving on further in Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. God says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. That is God once again talking to Moses as Moses is talking to the Israelites at the end of his life as the torch is getting passed from Moses down to Joshua and they're getting ready to enter into the promised land. Moving further on in the text, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. God's Word says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's the same promise He made to Moses. Now He's making that promise to Joshua. He's saying, the land that you're going to inherit, I'm giving it to you and by my power you'll take it. I'm with you. I love you. I will strengthen you. I will bless you. Moving further on into the Psalms. Probably the most famous of the Psalms, Psalm 23. Just listen to the words of verse 4 from a father's heart. David is claiming the promise here. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David is clinging to the truth that he has a father who is his shepherd. And he will discipline him, but he will also protect him and he will guide him. And he's clinging to the beauty and the truth of that promise. Further on in the Old Testament, we get to Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Isaiah 41, 10, listen to these words. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is God's prophetic promise to the nation of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. And it's fulfilled in the church. Now we move on to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. We talked about this at Christmas. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's God's promise spoken through the angels to Joseph, the caretaker, as Mary, the virgin, is, is conceiving a child. Then what I just read here moments ago, Matthew 28, 20, the great promise that comes with the great commission. He said, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's Jesus' final words to us and his first priority and his first promise to us as we make disciples. What about John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17? John 14, 16 through 17. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit to come. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus is getting ready to go and be with the Father in heaven, and He says, I'm going, but I'm also coming. I'm going up there, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit down here so that through the Holy Spirit, I can be in all places at all times. God is with us. And then finally, the great promise we look forward to at the end of time. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Now, whew, Genesis to Revelation and I left a whole lot out in between. Everything I just read, I read from the presence of a fatherly heart. That was 10 verses I just went through. You don't tell people you're going to read 10 verses till after you read 10 verses. But guess what? All of them echoing the same thing. God is saying, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I am with you. I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will comfort you. I will protect you. I will discipline you. I will guide you. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. Jesus said, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. Do we know that in our lives? Do you know God's presence in your life? There's a story. I get emotional every time I think about it. Uh, of a, a professor shared this with me one time. It's of a young boy who lost his mother at a very young age. May have been seven or eight years old. So he had nothing but his dad. And he would, cl- he would climb into bed every night in the dark in his dad's bed. And he'd say to his dad, because it was pitch black and he couldn't see him, he'd say, Daddy, is your face turned toward me? And every night, his father would say, Yes, son, my face is turned towards you. I'm looking at you. I love you. And he could go to sleep. I'm going to be honest with you. There are some of you in this room who are more built for this world than I am. I'll be honest. My sensitivity can sometimes be a blessing and many times be a great challenge in my life. I hurt easy. I need God's face to be on me when I close my eyes and when they're wide open. But guess what? I think all of you do too. We need God. We need Him in our lives. And in some ways, He is there as close as the air we breathe, and yet we live our lives as if He's not watching. But He is. Now, here's the second part. I said that God promises His, his relational presence for his fa- from His fatherly heart. But number two, God promises His relational presence to His faithful children. Perhaps we don't know His presence like we should, because we're not truly of the faith that we proclaim. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to real quickly read the same passages that I read to you, but listen to them now differently. I ask that you to listen to them the first time from the presence of God as a father. I want you to listen to each and every verse now from the presence of the children that he's promising them to and, and ask yourself, what's the difference between me and these children? Okay, listen close. They're all the same verses, so if you wrote them down, you don't need to write them down again. Genesis 28, 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Now from God, this is Jacob receiving this promise as he wakes up from a dream and he's getting ready to have descendants who will eventually become the nation of Israel and he's told to go into a distant land in faith. Exodus 33, 14. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. He's saying it to Moses as Moses is staring at 
this droves of Israelites that he's led out of slavery from Egypt into the wilderness and the, these, these crazy people. And that's what they were. I mean, he's already up on the mountain a few days and they're, and they're already worshiping a golden calf. And God said, no, I want you to lead them. Moses said, you're crazy. He said, yeah, well, guess what? I'll be with you when you go. Deuteronomy 31.6. Again, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. He's saying this through Moses to the people of Israel. Israel has walked in the wilderness for 40 years with Moses, and Moses says, guess what? I'm at the end of my journey. I'm not going with you any further. And the Israelites are saying, we walked with you for 40 years, and you're going to leave us right here at the boundaries of the land of Canaan? Moses says, don't be scared. God will give you the victory. He will be with you. A little further, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua was probably thinking, man, it took Moses 40 years to get these people to follow him. They finally did, and he's out of the picture, and I'm in the picture. How do I lead these people? Because you never want to be the guy that replaces the guy. You want to be the guy that replaces the guy that replaced the guy. And so Joshua is saying, how do I lead these people? I'm not, I'm not Moses. And God says, didn't I tell you to be strong and courageous? I'm with you. I'm with you. Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. King David is a man after God's own heart. And King David faced opposition that none of us in this room could possibly understand. His own children attacking him for authority and for the throne and enemies surrounding him everywhere. And yet David, although he was not perfect, continued to pursue the presence of God because he knew that's where he could walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And then in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Israel as a nation had seen so much they had their temple tore down and rebuilt again, waiting hundreds of years for this promise of a Messiah. And God is saying, I'm going to send my son. I will be with you. I promise you he's coming. Then we get into the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is a promise to Joseph. Stop for a second and think maybe Joseph needed the presence of God as bad as anybody. His fiance just walked in and said, I'm pregnant, but I didn't do anything. Joseph probably was losing his mind, but an angel of the Lord said, no, I'm with you. And God himself will be with you through his son. Emmanuel, God is a human being, Jesus Christ, God with us. Then Matthew 28, 20, at the end of Jesus's life, he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's saying to the disciples, I've poured into you 12. Go and pour into others. I've made you disciples. Go make disciples of all nations. And as it says in the KJV, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'll never forget this because when I was at seminary, I had an evangelism class and we had an Asian student in our class whose last name was Lo. And every time the professor took attendance, he said, lo, you are with us always. <laughs> so I'll never forget it because of that. But uh, it's the promise that Christ has made. And then finally, or two more, John chapter 14, verse 16 through 17. Jesus, once again, preparing his disciples for his departure. 
And I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus makes at the end of His life. He said, I'm going up that the Spirit's coming down. And I was beside you, but God is now inside you forever. And then finally, Revelation 21.3, that's the promise that none of us have fully experienced yet, but it should be the promise that fuels your fire to serve God. Revelation 21.3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. It's a return to the Garden of Eden. Everything comes full circle. We're in a garden. We're eating of a tree and we're enjoying the presence of God forever, yet without sin. Now, let me sum all this up right here. Listen to these words. He says, I am with you. I will continue to go with you. I will keep you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. I will dwell with you and be in you. I will be your God and you will be my people. That is the greatest promise in Scripture and we ought to live every single moment as if this is the oxygen that is flowing in our lungs. We need God's presence. We need His presence in our lives. The difference between victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, true meaning and uselessness, the ultimate purpose of life and randomly wandering on the earth all comes down to one thing. Some of us have God's presence and some of us do not. There are timeless promises that God proves to us over and over again He will keep, but there is no promise greater than His presence and there's nothing greater that He did to give us that presence than to send His Son who lived for us, died for us, rose for us, and then sent down His Spirit for us. So that leads me to our conclusion. As we sum all this up, I want us to look at the presence of God for who God really is. In one sentence, I would say, the promise of God's relational presence is made by the Father, fulfilled by the Son, and available through the Holy Spirit. Okay? Made by the Father, fulfilled by the Son, and available through the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? Well, Another way to think of it this way is anytime God does work in the Bible, and I know it's a great mystery that the Trinity is one God represented in three persons, but if you look closely in the Bible, it's always the Father who assigns, it's the Son who accomplishes, and it's the Spirit who applies. So the Father is the one that says, I'll be with you. He makes the promise. It's the Son who comes and lives the perfect life that we should have lived, earning our righteousness, dying the death that we deserved, taking on our punishment on the cross, and rising from the dead three days later, making a way from death to life. Jesus fulfilled the promise, and then the Holy Spirit comes and makes the promise available to us. In the Old Testament, you see there are special moments where the Holy Spirit descends upon people or is beside people. But now here's the miracle of the New Testament. God is in you through the Holy Spirit. And you can experience a greater sweetness and presence of God when you, like the people of the Old Testament and New Testament that I read, are people of faith who need God to do His work. Perhaps you have not experienced God's presence because you have not been living for God's will. Try to live the Christian life and find out how impossible it is without God. 
Find a hell impossible. Try, try and be obedient, even for one day. Make a decision from the, day you, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep that you're not going to have an evil thought, you're not going to speak an evil word, and you're not going to do an evil deed, even for 24 hours. And you will find, without the power of God and the presence of God in your life, it's impossible. But with the presence of God, it is. Because he's changing us. Dave read our mission statement. Heads, hearts, and hands being transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ to make that you know more about God tomorrow and you're more like God tomorrow than you were today and you're more like God today than you were yesterday. That's the transformation that God calls us into. And that is his presence.